0: another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. And yeah, joining me today, tonight, uh, is a hip-hop artist whose uh, last full-length project uh, came out in 2018 with uh, Vincent Van Grade. It's called a take called Fresh. Uh, he's dropped a couple songs since then. Um, but uh, he is a veteran of the Milwaukee music scene. We're going to talk to him about his passions, his artistry, why he does what he does. Thank you for joining me tonight, Dana. Coppa feel. Bo bo bo. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
1: You're welcome, my friend. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty great. I can't complain, you know. I got some brujas. Um, cheers, you know. Cheers. Got some medicine in the background in case I need that, you know. So I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm A plus
0: right now. I'm glad. Yeah, it's uh it's been a long time coming. You know, you were the um you were the the uh, last – you were, like, the first episode um, I had to cancel on when uh, COVID started. You were, like, the last one I left off on, sadly. Uh,
1: you know, I kind of felt like that was going to happen because – you know, like, I mean, what we booked it probably like a few weeks before the lockdown and then just like out of nowhere, it just kind of hit. So I kind of felt like it was going to come. And at the same time, too, I was probably going to say, hey, I don't know if we should do this to, with, with everything that's going on anyway. So it was kind of it was a bummer. But at the same time, too, you know, it here we are. So I'm glad it was yeah. able to work it out. It would have been fun to do this in person. That's for sure. Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah. And I agree, you know, like. I know that there is an element that I was, you know, I had to, like, ponder sacrificing for a long time, which is, like, just the, the intimacy, the, the person, the authenticity of, like, being able to hang out with somebody in person and, like, really right. get to know them. But this works. I mean, I've been having some great conversations on here so far. So, I mean, um, you know been good too for me it's like you know you can't skip a beat
1: just because you know everybody else is on hold i mean you know a lot of things are just getting done through communication and phone so you gotta just you gotta take you gotta you gotta get it done the way you can you know so i've had some great conversations over these zoom apps and i've had so many zoom meetings lately it's insane
2: hmm.
0: yeah man it's like it's so wild like reflecting on You know, how much just, like, in, how long was it ago? Five months at this point, uh, March, when, like, quarantine started, when the pandemic really, like, dominated, like, society. It's, the growth has been immense, not only personally, but from the community, from just things shifting. A tipping point has occurred uh, in the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, people are slowly becoming, you know, I mean, uh, uh, awareness is definitely happening, and I think that, you know, people are coming to a point where um, they realize that just because you have an iPhone don't necessarily mean that you're a free person, and that, you know, I think that... um, a lot of these things that we have are been taken for granted and ourselves are taken for granted and overlooking it, you know, we reap what we sow, you know, and a lot of times that's a part of the growth and the struggle, you know, I mean, in order to wake, you have to be asleep, you know, at one uh, point. Yeah. I... So, you know, can't have one without the other, you know, and that's, uh, that is in itself is a balance. And I think that people are, um, you know i mean change is good change is good for everybody um so i think that as i've witnessed what is happening i've seen things that i don't think i would have expected to see and just the way that uh the world is shaping let alone our city um and the narratives that are being played out it's 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 insane you know what i mean yes it's a It's really cool time to be alive, but at the same time, it's very scary, too. You know, it's like these, it's like you're, it's like caught up in like, uh, you know, it's like learning how to ride a bike almost, you know, on the first time, like, you you know, you're you're excited, but at the same time, you know, you're going to fall and hurt, you know, so it's, it's, it's a weird time to be alive for sure. You know, you're seeing people, the just the consciousness in general shifting and people are starting to, you know, realize that it isn't material things or, uh, that it really run what people want. You know, it's like our desires and our ideas and our identities are being pushed to the side. And I think people are kind of slowly getting tired of it. And, you know, I mean, artistry's always been there for artists to express, but at the same time too, you know, I mean, um, the frustrations of people, and you know, when you express things and not being taken seriously or not being heard, I think you know, it comes to a point where people are gonna kind of what they're doing, rising up, you know, yeah. speak. You no, know, I mean, equality is a very important thing, um, and
0: I think that everybody's entitled to equality, <clears throat> amen, brother. I mean, we were just saying right before we started recording, I heard the uh Black Lives Matter March, uh. Just go right down my uh street and i like i know that they once they started at the beginning of the summer they didn't stop you know they, they're on like they, they gotta be in days the 70s at this point
1: yeah it's like 74 i think
0: yeah
1: i, I just seen a post before <laughs> before i talked to you and, mm. and i believe they're on like day 74 of just marching i mean which is great you know let's see if we can get 200 let's see if yeah. we can get under it. Let's see if we can get the whole year. I mean, maybe we won't. Maybe there'll be some changes happening before that will cause, you know, I mean, it's something has to give, you know, and I mean, like, I'm, I'm kind of always in the middle type of person, you know, I, I like, I believe that the truth lies in between two points of view. You know, like your point of view and my point of view, the truth is going to fall in between the center there, you know, like in our belief system. So I think that, you know, people just need to kind of like use, understand the common threads of truth, you know, like, hey, we both breathe air. We both need the same thing, you know, regardless of what we look like or whatnot. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's pretty fucked up to say the least, you know, that being a man of color, you know, just and whatever you know you can die you know i mean and i mean hey you being a white person you can die too you know so it's just all around shitty the whole system is for everybody and i think that people need to just kind of come together and rise up and realize that some of these things that are set up aren't necessarily meant for us you know there's it's a new age it's a new time you know um everything needs updated you know Everything needs version (laughs)
0: 1.5. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I, I agree. Like, I think that, um, you know, there's plenty of things that, you know, I can recognize make me frustrated, sad, or just angry about, you know, the system and how it's not working for, you know, black folks or women or LGBTQ plus folks. Like I, you know. I get really frustrated, but I have to remember that, like, some people, you know, don't have the exposure to the different oppressions that, you know, others who, where it's, like, been their whole lives, and, like, you know, you have to meet people where they're at with it, right. and, uh, remember that, like, you know, learning and growing is a, it's, it's an irregular process, and,
2: well,
0: uh, it, it
1: know, is, I mean, it's, it's called growing, it ain't called grow, or, grow to it's like it's the idea of it's a continuing process of like you know just like trying to perfect yourself or not even what you would think perfect you know you use that word loosely but it's more of just trying to be the better you and yeah so it's an ongoing thing you know and I mean like even even the most wokest person has issues and has flaws that can be developed and worked upon so with that being said yes you know I mean I think that it's an ongoing thing and yes people are definitely um, their background I mean you have people that have never grown up around black no or- have never experienced a lot of things that we've have experienced I mean I myself when I first moved to Milwaukee um, I went to the high school of the arts so I pretty much was like a, exposed to a lot of different ideas, you know, throughout high school and was very open-minded to um, other peoples and individualities and what they had with their ideas and how they want to express themselves. So for me, I never really had issues with that. You know, I mean, none of that really bothers me. I think that, you know, people deserve to have the right to really express who they are. You know, I think the big thing is like, we also have to keep in mind though, um, important is, you know, not, having our beliefs infringe on other people's beliefs will, you know, like the idea of the will, like, even if you read the Bible, you know, the one thing God will not do is infringe on your free will. He gave it to you for a purpose. So when you see these pro-lifers or Christian people holding up signs here, they're infringing on the one thing that their God said that he wouldn't do, you know, so you got to really kind of keep these things in perspective, you know?
0: Yeah. Right. I, and that's a whole different conversation. We will go into another day, but yeah, sure. we started off <laughs> the- here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, it, it comes with it comes with the times. So you know, it's necessary discourse. But anyway, so
1: you got to talk about it, you got to see where people are yeah. at and get in the situation and see where people's minds are. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I myself, I moved out to where I moved out here in Fort, and I really thought I was moving into like a big Trump country. And, you know, anti-masks and all that, but it's really not like that out here, you know, it, it's way blew my perspective, you know, everywhere I go, people are wearing masks. Uh, You know, I see a lot of uh Biden signs out here, anti-Trump signs, which is kind of crazy. I wouldn't even really expect that. So that, you know, here, here I am, I'm learning something, you know.
0: Totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like if your mom, people got to remember that, you know, there's just because someone doesn't live in this city doesn't mean they're not. Politically or socially aware. I mean, you'll right. find the places closest to the big city can be some of the most conservative, like the immediate suburbs. You know, right. like right. so, like yeah, you drive ten minutes north and you're in Whitefish Bay, and I've seen plenty of Trump pet signs up there. But yeah, you. Um, even that. <laughs> what's it, what's you say? I said, and you wouldn't even really think that from Whitefish yeah. Bay. Yeah. Huh? Well,
1: <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I don't know i'm surprised I think, i'm surprised by people constantly <clears> oh <throat> you know i'm not political religious or any of that i just you know i mean your belief is your belief if you believe zeus is your god i can dig it
0: you know right yeah as long as your god doesn't uh take rights away from people then I'm right yeah. god right so nice. yeah so i'm glad that um yeah no, i'm glad that like you know the the, the the hiatus from the show was necessary because I feel like a completely different person than I was in March. So um, so you know so here we are and uh, yeah, I'm definitely a different person than
1: I was uh, during that in March too. So I'm glad like we're I'm in a mind for a lot better mind frame right now. You know yeah. where I was in Milwaukee during the last few months, I've been very very in a bad mentally placed you know um and this is like the first since moving out here is like the first time i've actually felt like uh, i could breathe i have space like you know like social distancing isn't a task where i'm at i know people in this whole town you know only 1200 people live here in this town so i'm like ah it just feels good you know it feels like i have space
0: dude that's so funny you say that because like talking about the social distancing isn't a task is because like it's like now with with the with the quarantine it's like you know there's no FOMO or anything like yeah there's no like worried that you're not that you're missing out on some kind of like you know social gathering or missing out on the constant events and stuff but because I mean yeah like I'm kind of kind of like yourself like you know i'm pretty reclusive like i don't i like to just be by myself and my like this is the first time living alone for me and i've been in paradise my friend
1: oh man it's a good thing you know i mean solitude is great you know and definitely can bring perspective i uh you know i mean i've always i grew up you know i'm 43 or 2 or some shit <laughs> um yeah. But I've always grew up in like a city, you know, very urban lifestyle, very inner city. You know, I mean, I've lived in Rockford, uh very, you know, in a predominantly black neighborhood. I lived in Madison to go to school. I lived in Milwaukee and predominantly, uh, you know, the South Side, predominantly Latino neighborhoods. And that was a huge perspective for me coming from a predominantly black neighborhood to a predominantly Latino neighborhood um, when I first moved up to Milwaukee. I mean. I never really had real Mexican food until I moved to Milwaukee. um, And I was like, what, like 14 or something, you know? So it's just, it's, it's, solitude is great. Change is good. The city I've always loved. And the reason why is because I've always had something to do or was a part of something. But when I kind of made this decision of like backing away from music or maybe not trying to, uh, go after it or chase it like I was, you know, because as you know, you just you grow and you have different ideas, different things that you want to do. And so after like the music thing kind of like fizzled for me, I felt like, well, I need to change in life. You know, I need to change. I was like, I've, I've been in the city and I never really thought about leaving a city. But, you know, with COVID, I just my my anxiety levels went through the roof. you know I, I just it just really put a spell on me, and I was like i mean I was constantly pacing and just hated the way I felt there. We live in an apartment complex and sharing laundry rooms and hall space with other people and yeah. every day just felt you know like a task to just walk out of your own apartment and Just to go do something, you know. And my kids, we had a two-bedroom apartment. My kids were sharing a room, and everybody was just on top of each other. And it was just like, you know, it's just slowly eating at me. And oh man, and coming out here, like, God, the the air's just everything's different, you know. Like, it just feels cleaner. Uh, weight has been lifted a little bit.
0: Yeah, I was gonna
1: say you probably see a lot more stars out there oh man, the sky is beautiful. I mean, like, you know, I mean, I've always lived in apartments. I've never had like a space like this, never had anything like this. So it's real big change for me, you know, and I never really could see myself living in a place where there's only like 12,000 people, right? Because I always thought of myself some like big city artist, rapper guy or whatever the persona of what I thought I was, you know, so I could never see myself being out here because I just thought like, well, how many vegetarians are there in, fort atkinson you know probably not a lot you know and yeah. then like what if i need a job or what if i need this or what about friends and then you just realize like you know like well all of that stuff can everything can change or you can take it with you if you want you know so yeah i think the big thing though that's really been really helpful is just being able to avoid people and like, you know, much as I want to be around people, I've always been a social person. I'm a social butterfly. I love, I mean, I was a rapper for God's sake. I've been in the scene of Milwaukee yeah. for a long time and I just love being out there and making music and shit talking and laughing and being a part of something that I thought was special. Um And here I am kind of like on the opposite spectrum. So the moving and the solitude has been
0: like a really good thing for me good i'm i mean i'm glad to hear it's been a positive shift uh mind clearing and gives you just sort of like that ability to like bask in the solitude and the just the clarity Um, right that's that's great man and i've experienced the same thing from you know just having my own apartment for the first time not dealing with other people sharing my space because like uh i i can't i i used to think i always needed people around but like really don't (laughs) well
1: you know i mean this is a you do and you don't you know i mean like yes you do need people human interaction i mean we all crave and need and want interaction and approval of other people whether we lie to ourselves say we don't but we do yeah no you know, social constructs is very important to one's self-identity of what they think who they are and their place in their community or in the scene. So, you know, yeah, it's very important. And that was something that I probably struggled with. I've always like, you know, I mean, I was definitely like a like I said, I'm out. I was out there. I go to every event, any rap show. I'm there for for a very long time, you know. And I just thought that because that's what I have to do, or that's yeah. what my what people expected me to be, you know. And then I realized, like, well, I could do more and be something different. I don't necessarily have to, you know. So it, it's definitely a different, it's change of pace of like being, uh, not being so like. Uh, out there you yeah know? but and it's it's just kind of the path too you know like i said i'm older than a lot of people a lot of people don't think i'm as old as i am because i don't look it yeah you know, for whatever reason you know but you look
0: like you look you are kind of baby faced like you look like you could be like 20 years younger but yeah, people people think i'm 10 years older than i am and i'm 24
1: Uh well it's just the face hair for real <laughs> it is you know i mean it took me 30 years to grow a beard oh yeah yeah, yeah.
0: that'll get you so, yeah. so so dana uh so what we talk about on mr nose guy we talk love and fear passion and creativity and
2: mm-hmm.
0: um you know i yeah so we mentioned at the beginning that um you know i've, I've talked to a lot of artists that have worked with you um i um you know, I write for breaking and entering. So Alan has spoken very highly of you. I appreciate um, it. Thank you, Alan. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's my brother. Um, yeah, but I've also worked like, you know, I've, um, I've had Vincent Van Great on the show. Um, I've had Drace on the show. I've had, you know, various other artists that, you know, you've collaborated with one at one point or another. So before we get into everything, like scene wise, and Milwaukee and where you're at with music. Now, I'd love to hear a little bit about your own origins with where music became a creative outlet for yourself growing up. Um, you know, like,
1: so I grew up originally in Rockford and uh, in about the late eighties, I moved to this particular neighborhood and um, it's probably like in fourth grade. And I met this kid named Mike, uh, Michael Campbell. Michael Campbell was like two years younger than me but he was kind of like a hip cool kid uh you know like he he was in the same stuff like both collecting gi joes and kind of like wearing the comics you know and yeah. he had like and his dad sold weed to my mom um and so that there was that dynamic and so mike and me became like good friends um you know not knowing but was crazy as a uh, when I would first go over to Mike's house, um, he had two older brothers um, that were probably like a good six, seven years older than him. And they were like, you know, we were probably in like fourth, fifth grade or like eighth, ninth grade and they were into hip hop. And so my first experience ever was in Mike's house, like, and his brothers were in the room wearing these big gaudy chains, like they stole these, uh, letters from these uh from signs like uh display signs and stuff and they steal their letter and then they would like spray paint them and they put a chain on it and i thought it was like super cool they had like these uh black power posters in the room and they had this black power calendar with rock him i remember it so vivid and They had all these vinyls like they were like the cool hip hop guys like I never really you know outside of seeing it in movies like Beach Street or something like that um you know which I got into break dancing before that I did a lot of break dancing that's kind of where the love for hip hop came from from like Beach Street and stuff and like I want to emulate these moves so I started practicing the moves and you know once I met Mike and his older brothers they were in the room freestyling and and then me and Mike thought it was really cool. And so me and Mike started to, you know, freestyle. And that's kind of where it started from. And uh I remember, you know, me and Mike were always talking about making rap music and doing this and doing that. And, you know, and so we were in fourth grade. So I ended up moving to Milwaukee in ninety. I was in eighth grade and I moved to Milwaukee. And uh I stayed in contact with Mike and about senior year in high school. Uh, You know, I met uh, Adam and Issa and those guys became the Rusty Pelicans later and Aaron. So I went to high school with these guys and, you know, so early in high school, our senior year, we started developing, making beats together and hanging out and kind of started the Rusty Pelican crew come like our senior year, 96, we kind of like threw it out there and started doing shows. And so... I would go back down to Rockford with like maxi singles and instrumentals and I'd get Mike, you know, I'd show him our beat machines and DR5s and then I'd kind of show him what we're doing and then Mike would start emulating what we were doing. He's like and he started creating his own scene in Rockford, you know, doing shows and creating groups and I was doing the same thing in Milwaukee and so you know, we kind of kept in contact. He's like my brother. And just everything kind of started from with Mike and when I went to the high school of the arts, it was just like an explosion of talent. I mean, there were so many great graphic artists, drawers, designers, you know, dance majors that were killing it, musician majors, theater majors. And you were just caught up in all of this talent and you're in the lunchroom and you'd see people freestyle or make beats on the table. Cause I mean, everybody there was just like talented, you know, you, you, you might be at lunch with this guy that's a super great drummer. And one day he might go play drums for Lenny, Lenny Kravitz or some shit, you know, yeah, like yeah. you're in, you're like, you're in this talent pool, you know? And so I never really had that experience or anything. And being a West just kind of opened up my eyes of like what could possibly happen. And so, you know, our senior year came and we were starting to get like four tracks and four track tapes and we had a dr5 and a little sampler and we started putting in together beats and that's kind of really how where it all kind of happened and then you know like the rest just kind of came and went we formed rusty pelicans like 96 and then we pretty much kind of just like ran the scene for a little bit as far as like the underground hip-hop you know the do it yourself underground hip-hop kind yeah. of Scene. i can't say like you know i mean you, you're still gonna have like ice moan you're still gonna have uh baby drew you're still gonna have you know strict strickland was working with uh tommy boy at that time too and doing this thing so there was a lot of people doing things and you know milwaukee is a weird city because it has like 100 different scenes especially even for rap you got and especially during the 90s time, you had like the underground rap or backpack rap and that was kind of like the east side, river west area. Then there was like a north side scene that never really interacted with, but you knew it exists. And there was a south side scene. And you know a lot of people weren't really interacting with each other during that time, I would say in the 90s. and But it was a great time. And so like, that's kind of where it all started was just kind of making beats with Adam and Issa, linking up with them and freestyling for hours and just kind of figuring it out. And, you know, uh, my guy Mike was like a big, big part of that, just kind of his brothers just kind of like made us think it was possible for us to do it, you know. And we kind of did, you know. I mean, Mike, Mike's won several awards from his city, you know. I mean, he's, he's kind of the godfather of his city scene, which is cool because I was really a part of help. An instrumental part of him helping develop his thing so you know it, the Milwaukee scene was great like there were, the scene was tough in the 90s because there wasn't like places to gig at or you know people didn't really want hip-hop in their venue it was really you know I mean so a lot of times we were playing with like punk bands in the basements River West doing like stuff yeah. to, you know like rocking with a lot of punk bands skaters ska bands and uh you know just rocking out basement shows in river west i mean that was a lot of our early stuff for the peas and you know globe east they were like one of the only place that would do like all ages shows so we play like with like three's company who was big during that time and like uh you know etc etc so that's kind of the beginnings yeah well you know milwaukee's always been a very musical city i just you know i mean it was it was all over the place because i can tell you that i went to like ska shows in the early 90s that were in like denny's like an abandoned denny's (laughs) somewhere in franklin or some weird shit or some bowling alley that like what the fuck they're doing a show here like it was always been kind of like a real crazy eclectic scene you know and and the early the early the 90s are definitely all over the place because there wasn't a lot of venues like hip-hop wise you know i mean the big break for us is the rusty pelicans is that um we ended up meeting this dude named james richardson who was putting together this label um or kind of compilation and he was working with earlier artists and we met him and he kind of understood what we were going for and what we wanted to do and one of our big breaks was uh we actually booked the rave bar to throw a whole hieroglyphic show and it was like one of like it was a huge thing for us because we did it all ourselves we promoted for it you know we were kind of worried and we did it very independently and we packed out the rave bar and the rave was really impressed with what we brought and you know we had the whole hieroglyphics there so it's a mission dell pep love casual and they just did a huge set it was like a really big moment for us and then that kind of opened our the door for us that like you know one of our big claim to fame was the thing that kind of put us out there was that we were playing a lot of shows at the rave you know like being a local group um hip-hop guys and we're playing shows at the rave that that wasn't something that happened a lot in the rave in the early 90s you know or late 90s where they would take a lot of local openers and stuff and we just kind of said hey we're gonna make this happen we're gonna put our own money into it give us the space we'll rent it whatever and you know let's see what happened and then after that we booked tons of shows there you know we brought like dayla there we brought like the um uh, Living Legends, uh, oh, yeah. Alcoholics, uh, Cool Keef. Um, I mean, we brought quite a lot of different people to the rave, you know, and, and people are like, how are you getting to open for that? Well, we're, we're booking these shows, you know, through our manager. And James had his, you know, James was the man. He had his finger on the pulse of the scene, especially the punk scene. Um, he was really big into the punk scene. And that's kind of how we met him because our whole origin were like playing grimy ass shows in the basement with you know gutter punks and dirt hippies and
0: sh- shit like that like <laughs> that's river you know, west yeah that's no river west really, for
2: you. You
1: know, we we're like the hip-hop kids and you know where we are bringing like people to the shows and it, it was just a weird time you know but it was great and it was weird because you have so many different pockets and like i know like in the 90s milwaukee hip-hop was just weird because like i said there were so many pockets people weren't playing like venue venues because that wasn't available steadily you know i mean like there's a few venues you know once the globe east closed that kind of like put the kibosh on the all ages shows and we were doing that with like the Sky kids and stuff like that in the beginning you know
0: yeah 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 for sure um so as the rusty peas did you guys um i imagine you guys toured where to take you guys
1: well i mean you know we kind of the Rusty Peas had the Pelicans or the Peas, you know, I mean, the name has changed multiple times. So has the members for the most part, you know, there was some falling outs here and there and, you know, growth, but you know, the Peas went on to like, what, I think one of the biggest breaks for us is we put out a, they put out a 12 inch with, um, atmosphere before atmosphere was big. They had money from far side on there. One of our biggest, also big breaks was touring with the far side. Um, like shortly after they put out, um, Lab Cabin. We went on a national tour with them. Um, our first 12 inch that we recorded was actually in LA with the far side helping us. Like Imani was like our big brother and he was like really looking out for us. And we're in the studio recording. God, that that was so insane. Like that was probably the first time we were in like a real studio recording something. And I just remember looking out, being in a booth, trying to record my verse and there's booty Brown on the other side of the board. It's like, you can do it. And, it, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, it was, it was really surreal. You know, I mean, you know, cause we kind of hit it fast and we met a lot of connections fast and, you know, like, like-minded individuals were really what we were going for. It wasn't like, we're thinking like, Hey, we are going to be this or going to be that. It was just kind of like an organic thing and people started resonating with it. And I think the fact too, is that, you know, we kind of had a broad reach, you know, like Aaron and Issa went to Nicolay, me and Adam went to West division Aaron transferred to our school and it bridged a huge gap. And, you know, like we were at all these parties and met so many people and it just kind of was a, it's kind of like a a thing for us where it just kind of just happened and you know we had a manager who was giving us solid information and we were booking like shows at the rave and bringing in talent and you know like we were investing in ourselves putting out 12 inches and vinyl like you know a lot of people weren't doing that in the milwaukee scene at that time and uh so it kind of just like we're just really like, okay, we're going to do this ourselves. You know, and the fact that we also had a great re- relationship with Slug and Atmosphere before Rhymesayers became this big entity. And they were always giving information and helping us out, you know. Um, you know, it was kind of sad because the Pelicans could have been signed to Rhymesayers if they played their cards right, you know. That really could have happened, you know. And so, you know, there were some missed uh, things on our part. I, I kind of, like, left – Around the 98, like around 98, um, we kind of had a falling out. And I, uh, it was kind of a lot on my, it was my fault. And so, you know, we had a falling out, they kicked me out of the group. And I just kind of soaked for a while. And then I started up my own thing with a group called the Intel Agents. And then I ended up moving to Madison. And, you know, we got signed to like the local Madison label. We, we put out some vinyl. We were in like Element Magazine and shit like that. That was a big yeah. thing back at that time. Um, so, you know, like I took a lot of the stuff that I learned from being in the group with the Pelicans and kind of applied it to this new group. And both of the guys that were in the group, Mike and Dan, they didn't really have a clue about how to do it or where the music should go or, you know, how to get in studios and stuff. And I was kind of like facilitating all that and just sharing the information I had, you know, and we had a good run with, you know, I moved to Madison 99 and, you know, we were out in Madison with the crest and those guys and we established like a heavy presence in Madison and, you know, we were pulling out, the Pelicans, and we were trading shows back and forth, you know. And the same thing like Rofford, my guy Mike, and Rofford was having his scene go, so we were all kind of like trading shows back and forth. It was a cool kind of time for us, you know. Like, hey, we're gonna do Rofford Thursday, we're gonna do Milwaukee uh, Friday, then Madison Saturday. You know, we're doing yeah. like these tours and things, and you know, it's kind of bridging out. It, it was, you know, like that time was just great. So you know, I mean, I, myself, I've been in so many groups and worked with so many people just because I'm a group person. I work better in groups. I work better. I'm very um, indecisive when it comes to myself. And it's hard for me to, like, I just don't have the confidence that I have in myself that other people seem to have in me and sometimes that kind of like stifles me or like why are people a lot of times like why are you in this group or why are you doing that with those people why don't you focus on yourself and it's like well that's not a part of my process you know I'm a part yeah. of my process is like you know working with people like i i enjoy that process i enjoy you know yeah
0: that's that's totally understandable and like you know like you know i i know i'm friends with a lot of folks in bands and like you know a lot of them are like i've talked to some friends who are like oh would you like ever see yourself doing your like a solo thing and they're like no i i'm with my places with my band like right my truth to be working with other people and it's important to acknowledge
1: yeah i mean i i like to do solo stuff and people like solo stuff for me i guess i mean so i'm told i mean i don't I don't believe people um <laughs> but uh you know i mean it's it, it's just easier you know i mean i love collabing i just love like i love other people's energy you know and i like to add on and i mean that's also been the other thing you know why being in so many groups i mean i like i like helping people i like helping underdogs or like you know helping people get shows or Connecting people, you know, even if I don't have no benefit out of it, or even if you know that I'm not even saying like, oh, I I connected you to, you know, I I don't need none of that because you know it's for me it's just the process, and I like I just love I love the networking, I love creating, I love the music, I just love like even if it nothing comes of it, I just that means a lot more to me, you know, than just like hey check this out you know i guess so collabing has always been a big part of what i've done or you know i mean or how i try to approach it you know because i just think that it's funner you know
0: yeah man you and i should be friends (laughs) because i'm the same (laughs) way bro
1: like we are
0: (laughs) yeah we we at at, that's right i mean for one i mean we're drinking together come on (laughs) and two (laughs) like yeah i i'm I've always kind of viewed myself as like a uh, connective person where like I get gratification from like helping others achieve their goals, but also bringing what I'm good at into the mix and right. yeah in, in that way that is very collaborative, whether it's purely social or whether it's based on opportunities and Your creative process your career process like i mean i love to like bring people together and like foster those
1: possibilities those i mean it's a great it's it's a great feeling you know like you know i mean there's a lot of times i help people i don't even like you know i might not even like an individual but like me helping them has, and how i personally feel about them has no bearing about what i can you know like yeah, yeah i'll help you know, just cause I don't like you or something don't mean that, you know, my personal feelings about something that that's all it is. It's personal feelings. You know, I can't let it control or dictate. It can't dictate business. It can't dictate a narrative that could even, you know, like could help me, you know, cause there was a, there was a point where, uh, there's a while back. A funny story is, uh, I was, uh, I got hit up by Homeboy Sandman and he's like, Hey, I want to come through. Someone gave me your information, said you're the man talked to about doing shows. And I'm not a big homeboy sandman fan, you know, per se. Like it ain't like I'm going out listening to all this shit or like it shit, you know. And one of my friends, I've even told him, like, I'm not even a big fan. And he's asked me, Why are you booking a homeboy sandman? I was like, Well, you know, just because I personally feel a certain way shouldn't stop me from making a connection that could potentially help me, you know. And the fact that I'm helping him out, he feels grateful for that. So it's just like, you know, down the line, maybe maybe he might help me out or something. Who knows? But I'm not going to let this personal feeling dictate, you know, what I'm going to do as yeah. far as how I should help this person or not, you know? Yeah. Like, it just, you know, if it's meant to be, it's meant
0: to be, you know? Yeah, I'm the same way. I mean, with breaking and entering, like, big, big thing is like, you know, I'm not, just some kinds of music that we cover on the site that I've published that I don't care for personally. Like I wouldn't return to this. Like I just, it might not be right really what gets me going, but for all I know there could be hundreds of others that have been anticipating this release for months. And right. it's if I can help, you know, provide a platform to, to other artists that their music or whatever the, it is they're doing connects with other people like by all means i'm gonna do it you know because yeah. they deserve that just because my personal feelings like you know who but, am i to say like they shouldn't get coverage I, you know? right no no exactly my i just have one rule you know
1: you you just have to be you have to already be invested in yourself you have to you know if you're coming to me for a handout i'm not gonna help you with the handout because if you're not doing it for yourself then you don't need me, you need me to do everything. And I don't I don't want to do everything, you know? Like, I just want, I want to be able to get you to talk to the person you need to talk to. Yeah, cause I have the experience and I might know that person, yeah. But I'm not like, I'm not gonna do everything for you. I'm not gonna book the show for you. I'm not gonna like, you know, like you gotta, you have to take, you have to empower yourself too. Yeah. At the same time. So that's my biggest rule. Like if you're investing in yourself and you're taking your craft, real and like you're really trying to do something with it and you're invested in that yes I want to help you do that because you know like if you know because to me I always invest in my craft I always approach it like this is a real thing this is something that I means a lot to me and it is not a joke to me and I'm not trying to make it funny and I don't like people who like you know I don't like other rappers who think it's a funny thing or a jokey thing you know like this means a lot. I've put thousands of dollars into trying to rap. you know, sounds stupid, right. You know, where other people are trying to make thousands of dollars, you know? And so my perspective is just like, you know, if you're not investing in yourself, how, why would you want me to invest in you? Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, I may have fun with this podcast, but let me tell you, I've put hundreds of hours right into doing this man and like while I've only like you know I've been doing it for a year and a half now and uh, it's like I don't it's not a fucking joke like if right. no, if you're here if you're here wasting my time like if for example like if I book an episode with somebody and they just like don't show up I'm like you do realize like how that what that means to me is like, you don't seem to care about what I take very seriously. And that it's frustrating, but you know, some people just, they don't, they never get with it, you know? And
1: Yeah. And and I get that, you know, that's why, that's why I have the rule, you know, like I have this rule. If you're not investing in yourself, I can't work with you. You know, like a lot of times people hit me up like, Hey, I like your stuff. How much do you charge for a feature? I was like, well, I don't really charge, like, you know, I'm not going to charge you for a feature. Like, just give me, give me writer's credit or publishing credit or, you know what, my biggest thing that I tell most people if they want me to do something, to collab, I just need to like the beat. I just need to be inspired to be wanting to be on there, you know, like you wanting me to be on there. That's a great start, you know, because God knows, like, there's not enough of you to want me on your tracks, <laughs> but you want me, so... I want to give you the best me but at the same time too if i can't like get into it like then you know now i now i feel bad because now i'm sitting here trying to force myself to do something for you that ain't really what i want to do i want to you know i want to i want to give you me and i don't want to sit here and feel like it's a big thing so i don't want you to give me a hundred dollars and send me a crappy beat now i'm forced to rap to this because you paid me and i feel obligated or whatever however it works so Like I, I love to collab. Like I said, if the beat is slamming and you're on top of what you're doing and you're focused, I want to work with you. You know I mean? that I have this whole big thing to offer, but I mean, I know my worth and I know that if you Google my name or you go look at my plays, like, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, I mean, it's not like this huge thing, but it, it's something, you know, it resonates. There's, there's, there's some substance there you know so like like do i expect someone to have like more plays than me or be up as high as plays me like no i like your plays or your counts none of that means anything to me if you're good and you love what you're doing and i like it and it's something that resonates with me i want to be a part of it oh yeah oh you know like like money can't change that you know um yeah, I want to be paid for my work, but at the same time, too, I want to be a... I want to work on everybody's shit. I want to tag... I want to tag
0: every wall. Yeah. You know? Yeah, man. I... Totally. I... I'm 100% with you there. I mean, I don't work with anyone who, uh, you know, is... Obviously, you know, like, the clout is driving them versus the passion and the right. artistic drive and, you know, the that like you said, they invest in their, themselves and like, you know, there's and uh, for that reason, like, yeah, I you know, I'm willing to invest in all these artists and hear them talk about themselves for an hour because I care. You know, <laughs> like, you know, like if you invest in yourself, you already interest me.
1: Well, the thing is, what artists don't want to talk about themselves for an hour? That's...
0: Right? Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Back so back to that. Um, so I guess like um, so as like the two thousands went on, you know, as as the as you know but-
1: going. Yeah, so the 2000s went on. So I lived in Madison about 2000 to 2006, and I was in Madison just kind of building a scene with people out there. There was a group called uh, Pickle Corp Squad that we worked with, another group called The Crest. The Crest actually were a pretty big group. You know, a lot of people don't realize they had a pretty big song I, on a, what, what, I can't remember what NBA, it was like 2K something. They had a pretty big song on a lot of people like, but. The Crest had a good career. I mean, especially if you go out to Madison during that time and mention The Crest. I mean, they were like the apex of like underground hip hop in Madison, you know? So we were working with them a lot and in the studio and, you know, we created like, I mean, that was a great time. Uh, The Madison time was, because it was like outside of Milwaukee and, you know, Milwaukee had their thing going and I could like watch it from like the top of the building. I was like Batman kind of watching over Milwaukee kind of, you know, and seeing how it was changing and growing and let alone I was in another city trying to uh, captivate or well, not captivate, but um, grow something that where we could pull people in and out of because madison's like a transplant city that city changes almost every three years you know as far as how the scene's driven how the music goes what bars are cool it changes so much because it's a college town and you know one of the things that like moving to madison because i moved there to go to mmi i wanted to get a recording technology degree so i could you know, me and my friend Mike Virus, who was also an Intel agent at that time, we both moved out there and uh, both went to school for music recording technology. We both just wanted to get the information on how to record ourselves just to be better artists and just, you know, know if someone's trying to rip us off. And and when we moved out there, we kind of had a plan of like, you know, we're going to tackle the scene because in Milwaukee, we we're kind of tackling the scene. The, the Pelicans would let us open up for them from time to time. We were... Hit in the Marquette house party scene very tough uh, during that time, which like people don't even realize the amazing parties that happened in Marquette and those basements and some of those places, man. Oh, we would rock like in the Marquette probably like weekly for like a good month one time. Like every week we were playing these house parties, knew a few people there. And then we moved to Madison and then we got in with the Crest and we started going out to open mics. Um, Then a label kind of came interested in us and the crest and we started putting out some vinyl and we were kind of hitting the Madison scene tough, you know, and then like probably 2005 few people left Madison It kind of dissolved school was done. I ended up, you know, having a fallout with my roommate and my girlfriend and ended up moving back to Milwaukee like 2006 seven or eight. I can't really remember. Maybe it might have been six, late six. And so I moved back to Milwaukee and I was in a very low point at that time too, kind of. I was living with my grandma. I moved in with her. She was um, dying from cancer. She didn't tell anybody. So I found that out like as I was living with her and she was like on her deathbed. And then it's like, wow, this whole time, like now everything that was happening makes sense. And um you know i was in a real bad place coming out of madison back you know like the scene kind of died friends you know there was a few people got arrested were in the drug scene you know and just shit just kind of fell flat and it was just time to kind of move on or something and i didn't really want to move back to milwaukee lived with the grandma and then i kind of started I met, uh, re reconnected with my friend Mike DNA, and he was like getting into rap, and he was having me come over, you know, like, yeah, come through and whatever, and they had a little studio, and he's like, I'm in this group called King Hell Bastard with this, uh, my friend Adam, and so I'd go over there and kind of like mentor them, and then next thing you know, it's like a weekly thing, and now I'm part of King Hell Bastard, and then, you know, we're, all of a sudden, I'm in this group, this group of drunken Bastards! Like all we did is just drink and rap. Like, uh, we drink obsessive, obscene amounts of alcohol. I mean, I don't. Well, and coming out of Madison too. Madison was such a drunk city. We drinks like you know. I mean, that's part probably a lot of the downfall of Madison too. Like we would drink heavily a lot, and coming back and getting with Mike and King Hell Bastard we got into a lot of drinking but then King Hell Bastard just started resonating in the scene you know like I didn't expect much coming from and I was like no one's gonna like this name like who's gonna like King Hell Bastard like and you know and I was like no one's gonna get the reference you know like only weird people are into Gonzo reporting and like you know, you might catch some typical asshole who might seem fearing and loathing in Las Vegas and might think he <laughs> understands something. But these guys have no idea who Hunter S. Thompson is. And, I, you know, my guy, Mike um, DNA, he's such a fucking literary genius. And he's like, just like caught in, you know, like references are everything to him, you know, and so I couldn't change his mind about the name. And I was like, all right, fine. And so the name came and, you know, it just started resonating and doing really well, a lot better than I think, you know, we won a few awards. I mean, we won we won like two awards from Milwaukee's radio's first awards, you know, um, video of the year, song of the year, which was crazy for us because we didn't really think that. I mean, we didn't think many people were resonating like we were like, like if the Beastie Boys listened to Little Brother and had backpacks or something, you know, that's like what a lot of people like, you know. You know, a lot of people refer to us like golden air hip hop, especially during that time. And it's just always kind of a turn off, you know, like, it's just like, no, like, yeah, just because I like to do this type of like, don't label us, you know, now you're turning people off to what we are doing. And, uh, but I guess it did a lot better than I expected. And, you know, during that time we met Dima, who uh, started up Unified Records and Unified uh, Records. Was, yeah, you know, Dima. I and do, so. Yeah. Our friend Elementalist, who was a producer for King Hell's Bastard in its initial stages, introduced us to Dima because we needed a place to record at and stuff, you know. And I was very reluctant because I looked at Dima like like he just was a gumshoe, wet behind the ear. I don't think he had ideas, but I don't think he knew how to, like, execute them. And he was just really, like, he's very he was ambitious and kind of, like, you know whimsical young drunk college kid and so I just really wasn't with Dima at first you know which was like weird because I was like one of the people who stuck with Dima for a while after like many other the groups from Unify Records kind of disband and so like King El Bastard we met Dima we started going to his house like regular recording and you know Dima became part of the group as a producer and then we you know Unify Records became this thing and I started working with you know like we were doing these shows so we were meeting all these people like gambit and a prime and um you know like meeting a uh, gambit was great because me and him were into like the same thing and you know like hip-hop was like that gel and like he was kind of making music but didn't really know how to like get into the studio and whatnot so we kind of like just started you know i started helping him with that somewhat and he was like i want to make this group like the milwaukee wu-tang and i was like okay okay i'm with it i was just like i'm all about being in any group you know i was just like i don't want to be the person that's like making all the moves because i kind of do that already with king hell and i don't want to like be the business guy i just want to show up and rap that's all because i don't get to do that you know i don't just get to show up and rap i I'm I'm the everything. I'm going to do the art. I'm going to do the fucking, yeah. you know, I'm going to tell them where the break goes. I'm going to be at the mastering session. I'm going to be at every part of it, you know, from the root to the two. Um And uh, so House of Ben came on board to unify, you know, and the House of M had a great impact off of like one album. And then huge fallouts there, you know, King Ho Bastard, just everybody was getting kind of old and, you know, like we had some great tours. Like, I mean, we toured the whole United States uh, a few times. I mean, the first tour I put together with my friend Dope Knife out in Savannah. He had a collective called Dope Sandwich and it was with my friend Tanner. Me and Tanner went to MMI together. Tanner moved out to Savannah, started up his own collective. We linked back up, and then, so we started, like, they had their traction in the South and, like, Atlanta, and they had places, we had places, so we started booking shows together and making these tours together, which were awesome, you know, and the first tour, like, I mean, I worked so hard on this first tour, and I ended up breaking my ankle um, really bad because uh, I was working at NPS, and we went on this roller skate fucking trip. And I broke my ankle roller skating with a bunch of kids like really bad. So I was in a cast with my knee bent all the way up to my thigh. And so there was no way I'm going to sit in the back of a Honda Accord with three other guys in a cast traveling all of these shows trying to rap. So I put together this tour and I couldn't even go on the first tour. And so King Hell kind of developed out of that. House of Bim kind of developed out of their like B-sides and, you know, uh What was it called back in the day before it's called Company Brewing? It was called... uh, Stonefly. Yeah, Stonefly. So Stonefly was, you know, a big thing where we'd link up and do shows out of there. Um, And, you know, like we'd meet up at Dima's house a lot, um, the Royalton and you know we'd have meetings and just we bring in groups and just try to help people so that's kind of like what happened from like the early 2000s was a lot of like un- building Unify, king hell Ho bastard house of m getting into videos you know trying to really advance and advance our music and put it onto a different level you know like learning how to get on blogs and making release press releases and stuff like that that's kind of like what was happening a lot in like the 2008s to about the 2012s. Oh
0: yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, uh, love the White Russian, he's a a good dude.
1: Oh yeah, Dima's great. I mean, Dima came a long way. I mean, me and Dima, you know, like, like I said, when a lot of groups disbanded or weren't doing music or whatever, you know, I It was just me at Dima at one point, and we were talking. And so this probably happened 2013, maybe a little later. Um, and we were just talking about, okay, what can we do with Unify? You know, like, how are we going to branch out? What, you know, we need different talent and whatnot. And then it came to us by having a conversation about Speakeasy. And we had a conversation about Speakeasy um, and bringing him on to the label and, you know, Um, seeing what would happen because he had like some momentum and me and him were kind of like-minded and we had like a studio session where we really meshed really well and I liked what we did with this song you know and so you know me and Dima talked and it came to a point where we brought in you know Speak into unify and then it came to a point where well, why why don't we just work together, you know, like, let's consolidate our resources and let's see if we can really make something happen, you know, instead of just kind of, you know, and speak never worked in a group per se, but I've always been like a group person, as I mentioned earlier. So it's just we started working together and you know, like, so that kind of happened out of there. This is like this whole evolving of unify, you know, and, and so me and him worked on a few records. I mean, we, we did re- well. I mean, we got on MTV and whatnot, but I mean, even before that, like, you know, I think one of the big things was when Dima did the action Bronson and riff Raff idea, you know, that was huge. Yeah. Um, I wish we would have captivated off of more off of that. Just, you know, kind of, just launched kind of went more heavier cuz like it was a great song it did well but it, the follow up is always the most important thing and a lot of times people don't realize that people get caught up in what's happening now in the moment but the follow up is like the most important thing you know and so i think the action bronson and riffraff thing was great but then at that point we're just like a lot of dead space. And then it was like, okay, let's work with speak. Let's, you know, and which did well. Cause like I said, I mean, our stuff landed on like NTV, we got, I mean, Huff, Huffington post, uh, Herb magazine. I mean, a lot of people were covering what we were doing, which was cool, you know, but at the same time too, we were investing in ourselves, You know, we had a publicist too at the time and they were working on getting our shit in blogs and connecting the dots for us so that was a huge thing and we were just taking what we are learning from king hell bastard and house of m because you know throughout that whole time i was really heavy on demo about like no we need to get publicists we need to get people that are going to get us placement to get us this recognition like and that especially during that time because that was like pretty much the birth of blogging and the birth of like, you know, the music reviewing or artist blogs or song review type of things that was a big thing, you know. So landing in certain blogs was kind of important, especially for Google searching, you know. Yeah. Um, and so these were like the in, like insights that we were kind of taking like, hey, we need to kind of follow these things. We need to know who's listening to our stuff, you know, we need to know where to listen to our stuff. Um, how you know we need to get better information from the publicists and who they're sending our stuff out. You know, I mean, like it, it was crazy because I mean we had a lot of uh, a lot of press for us and what we were doing, and it was a great run with speak, and it kind of like it was like a good resurgence for Unify in general. You know, I mean, Dima. Kind of put a fire under Dima again, you know. I mean, because Unify was like a roller coaster, there'd be these highs and lows, and you know, some people were doing and investing, and some people, I mean, people were investing, but they just weren't resonating. And you know, and it like it was, there's a lot of competition too, especially at Unify. I mean, because you any given day you go over to Dima's house, you don't know who's gonna be there trying to record or what they're doing or. Who's hanging out you know who's shit talking right and what right, happened, right.
2: You
1: know? yeah you might accidentally hear your friend shit talking about you because you know you walked in which is all right because it's just you know we're we're in competition and it doesn't right. hurt you know um but it was a good it was a good environment nevertheless because you know any given moment you're there with someone who's just as creative as you and working on something you yeah, know
0: totally so hello oh, Thank you for all the backstory. I mean, that's, it's cool to you know, see how it's evolved and grew. Um, and so um, as we go into more recent times, um, I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, your tape with uh, Vincent Van Great, you know, your last uh, full-length project.
1: I mean, uh, great. So <laughs> I, love, I love Vincent. Uh, I met Vincent a while back. Well, because Sass Crew Sass Crew is like they're like my little brothers. Um I met Royce, artistic, I met Ducalion who um and I met those guys early on and those dudes were like great. And I met Bliz McFly as well. Like there used to be there's this clothing store downtown called Flow. Um and they used to have these Sunday ciphers and like random people would show up to these ciphers and would just freestyle play beats and just freestyle and flow store, you know, in the clothing store, right in the middle of the clothing store. And so random people would show up and I know Blizz showed up a few times and I kind of like, I always knew Blizz because Blizz is like one of the first artists in, in Milwaukee that got on a world star. Um, And he was like one of the first artists I seen that were kind of doing like these cool videos and stuff and coming out of the House of M he was working with like Focus which were the Cranberry show and Cranberry like Focus, Young Focus was a part of House of M at one point. And so like through them you started seeing all these other younger artists and you know, Blizz was like one of the people that really stuck out to me. I always liked his flow. I liked how he was doing things and doing stuff. And that's where I first heard Sass from. And then I started hearing some of their music cause there was this guy, JC Poppy, who was blogging about the Milwaukee scene and hip hop scene specifically. And he would talk about these guys. And like I randomly, I think it maybe through Facebook. I don't know how I met them, but it was artistic and Ducalion. I know how it was. I actually asked them to be on a song that I was working on for a mixtape and they came over to the studio and we kicked it. And then um, later on, Royce had an album that he was working on with Mammoth. And that's how I met Mammoth. And so like Mammoth was a part of Sass at some point and me and Classic had rapport. I all, like I met Classic. I don't even know how I met Classic, but me and Classic and younger in his younger career we did a lot of music together he would come over and hang out i always loved his production and hit it off with him and so i was over like at a SAS crew meeting once or twice or maybe it was in a studio session i can't really remember but there was vincent and that's where i met vincent It was some dude he's just young really hyped amped up about what he was doing you know he just produced that song with blizz uh sex drugs and rock and roll so he's really that was like his thing and he was really on that and that just kind of like you know kind of propelled him and he was just always in my ear and I was just like he's just always said these things to me I'm like he's really wanted to work with me and I was just like you know I kind of blew it off a few times because I was like okay whatever and I think he started taking himself more serious and he invited me into a studio session when he was working on his first album and uh so i went into the session and we worked and we just had good rapport and you know that's around the time where i kind of entered well yeah i kind of introduced mammoth to Dima, because me and mammoth like hit it off like right off the first session we had so much in common and uh it was, you know, mammoths just like the fucking god. And uh so we hit it off and I introduced them. Me and Great was Great was at me almost every time I seen Great, he's like, when are we gonna do something? When we're gonna do something, when we're gonna, do something. We're gonna yeah. do something. And got me in the studio, and then we worked on a song. And like after we worked on the song, he was always in my ear. Like, that's the one thing I loved about Great. Like he was like, he wanted to work. He, he would tell you he wanted it. He wanted you to be there. He was like really excited to work with you. I mean, in the same time too, he was thinking about how he's working on his brand and branching out. And so he like, you know, I mean, he's like me, he likes to collab and work with a lot of people and uh, you know, and he, I introduced him to Dima. Cause I was like, well, I think great might be a, good situation for unify and you know at that point it came to a point where great was just always asking me to do more and do more and i was just like well like let's just do you know we were both like well let's just do something and so it took us a long time you know i mean we we probably created like 13 14 songs for it and you know like there was like in the beginning it went quick we were making all these songs and stuff and then towards the middle of it, I was getting insecure about my ability or being old and rapping and, you know, I seen all the young guys doing their thing and I just felt like, you know, my, maybe I might get passed over and so I wasn't really excited about it as Great was and then, you know, I was like, fuck it, jumped back into it. I mean, because it took us about two years to work on the project. You know what I mean? Great was like, he was great was on it like he was laying his verses he was laying hooks and he was sending me all of this stuff and i was really procrastinating a lot which he probably don't know you'll probably watch this interview and get (laughs) so now he'll be like oh that makes sense but you know (laughs) I, i was really insecure during that time about what was happening about what i wanted to do you know because I think working with Speak, you know, Dima is always pushing us to do something different, and you know, working with Great was a little different. And I mean, I'm just like a backpacker '90s hip hop type of guy, you know. And it's like I not really I don't want to trick rap or double time or, you know, I'm not into mumbles. I'm not. I can't rap like the Migos, and I don't want to, you know. And I'm like, I'm you know, I'm just. I, I like what i like you know i just like doing this particular type of hip-hop you know and so just working through that time you know and i also wanted to work on a solo um that was like something that was kind of lingering in the back of my mind and so me and great's project just took a lot longer than we really wanted to but it was a good process i mean i i like everything that came out of it i mean there's some things i don't like about it but you know i think that's everybody feels that way about their work. I, but the one thing about great is like, you know, he is on it. He, he doesn't have a problem bothering you to get what he wants. (laughs) You know, like if he, like, I need this Dana. All right. All right. We need to make this, you know I mean? And the other thing too, it was cool watching him grow. I think that he learned some things from me and, you know, it also was inspiring for me because here's this young guy that's like half my age and he really wants to work with me. You know, he'd always tell me about his uncle. Like he had an uncle that just, according to him, just loves my shit. And he would always come to me and tell me what his uncle was saying and stuff. And it was just like, it just be like motivation to me, you know? So it was, you know, great knows how to inspire you. He's, he's, you know I mean? He's a talented guy. Um, and I've really seen great develop from, you know, like being this producer behind the scene to like, I'm going to be an artist and I'm going to step out into the spotlight, you know, like when we first started doing stuff with Ninja Sauce and everything, you know, I mean, just watching him and his drive, it's been cool. It's, it's inspiring, you know, because I just like I remember being there and like wanting all of those same things and just like, you know. Like, uh uh driving and driving and driving. Oh, yeah. And it's just good. You know, he's starting, you know, he's resonating where he wants to. He's getting the results he wants to. And, you know, like working with him was like, it probably helped me out a lot more than I, I really realized at the time think that you know I mean and a lot of the ideas for a lot of the songs were really great ideas you know he would just come with the ideas I meaning he made it easy for me for the most part but I also think too that he knew I was kind of struggling in that time so it you know in and, and you know as yeah, that time was a real struggle time for me for sure. And at the same time too, I think during that time I was working like working on a reunion album with the Rusty Pelicans, like let's get together and try to do this 20-year reunion <laughs> thing. Um, you know, like let's make the album we never made, you know, yeah. let's the group that we never were for a little while. And that was very nostalgic for me as well. So like these these weird things were just kind of happening during that thing you know um but great is always like he's always looked out for me he's always invited me to shows to play with him um you know and and i've always invited him too you know i mean he's he liked my brother and you know i mean he definitely during those times kept me going and made
0: me want to do music you know Shout out to great big shout out to great He is a great guy. I've I've always had a great time hanging out with great.
1: Yeah, Yeah. he is. Vincent is a – I mean, uh, well, it's just because in my mind of, like – I mean, he's, like, one of the few people that I remember seeing at this stage. And he was just at me. And I remember the first time, like, the first few times he asked me, I was like, okay, if this guy – like, if I see him again in the next – few months you know like throughout this next six months period if I see this guy occasionally and he's saying the same thing I'm probably gonna want to work with him because the fact that you know like I'm in a cave but the fact that he wants to work with that means that it's a genuine thing you know and I really want to be a part of that you know so it was like yeah so almost every time I seen him until I actually got into the studio with him he was just like you know I mean he was always feeding my ego too you know (laughs) Uh, otis like i mean i just he'd always say like these things that just made you want to be around him and work with him so you know i mean he he knew how to get me going that was the other thing you know that so like working with him wasn't the hard thing the hard thing was just me getting past my bullshit you know yeah
0: for sure so um the last question for the sake of time is what are you working on now what have you been working on and stuff Well,
1: you know, lately I've been dabbling in graphic designing more. I've been doing a lot of album art for people, um, logo designing, um, apparel designing, um, flyers, and, you know, I just kind of getting into vectoring logos, and that's kind of been my thing lately. Um, And music-wise, believe it or not, this is probably the first place I'm going to say this, but... I've been working on some solo stuff. I have like I mean over last year, the last year I've been in the studio quite a bit with uh, Mammoth. Um and I got like I got like 14 songs with Mammoth all produced by Mammoth um that I'm sitting on. Um and we kind of had to stop recording once COVID hit. I have like two songs I need to get out to kind of wrap, finish this whole thing. But yeah, I mean, I'm sitting on like 14 songs at the moment, maybe 15, I'm kind of figuring out, like at first it was like, all right, I wanna do this project. I've always wanted to do a solo project, you know? And I just kind of always never had the time or kind of, you know, now here I am, I'm not working with anyone, I had the time, Mammoth is let me in the studio. So we're banging stuff out, COVID hits, stops. And I was like, yeah, I was really gearing up to kind of put out an album. But I mean, at this point, I think I'm gonna turn it into like a two-part EP. You now I'm gonna put out like first seven songs and put out the first, then put out the last seven songs. And you know, that way it'll give me some time to resonate, see how people, you know, cause I just, I, you know, I'm coming to this point where I, I think I'm done. You know, like I, I'm i at home, I write, you know, I sit in the garage and put instrumentals on and I write, you know, but I'm not actively pursuing being in the studio, trying to create songs, you know. Um, but I'm sitting on an EP I'm really happy of, and it's, it's cool because it's what I wanted. It's not like no outside voices. The cool thing about it is that you know, I sat and I wrote all of these songs at home to like instrumentals that I just kind of maybe found on YouTube or whatnot. And I go to the studio with Mammoth and I play them the thing. I was like, all right, I need that tempo. And to this one, I'm rapping to the bass line, make the bass line similar. Or this one, I'm rapping to the hi-hat, make the hi-hat similar or whatever. And so I come into the studio with like, you know, I like verses and hooks and then like these beats I wrote to and then Mammoth would kind of like make beats that would fit the tempo and what I wanted. And then, you know, like 15 minutes, he'd make these beats and then I'm recording it. And I was kind of, I'm going for like a low five, very kind of old nineties backpack kind of throwback hip hop, you know, it's kind of more like smooth kind of like break beat ish, smooth, like, you know, like very lo-fi-ish, you know, oh. um, and which I really dig, you know, I think like I like those repetitious melodic beats because I think the only thing that's really missing from them are lyrics, you know, and so my thing has always been like 90s, grimy New York, hip hop, and so I was like, you know, I'm going to try to do this little smooth kind of laid back study rap type of thing you know, and it's really what I, I'm really happy with it. You know, my girlfriend is on it. She drops a verse, which is great. Um, Rusty Pelicans or Peas are on there. Um, Artistic is on there. Um, I don't really have a lot of features, which is also cool because, you know, I've always been like a feature guy. And so this is really not like that. This is like really me, but it isn't like these deep thought pondering, like, narrative type flows, It's really just rap, you know, like just stuff I just sat down and kind of just strung together, kind of just rapping about rapping good, like, you know, just like it isn't like this real, you know, there's bars and gems in there, but it isn't like this real deep thing, you know, like, you need to like, and I'm not rapping about abortion or anything like that, you know, it's kind of like just bars, it's like braggadocious 90s kind of like...
0: Kind of just you know backpack type shit. Oh, yeah. We hey man, I'm excited to hear it. I'm looking forward to seeing what we got in the chamber it, from you, man.
1: I mean, I'm really excited. The one thing I was really pumped about that I was conscious about this one more than any of it was like people are gonna stream this. So I like all the songs are short. You know, I made them kind of. I wanted them to be like this short kind of Dilla Madlib esque feel, where. You listen to it and you're like, I don't know if I like that. Maybe I do. I need to hear it again because it just went so quick, you know, like everything's like verses, you know, like I'm not even doing eight bar hooks on some songs, you know, it's like a four bar hook. Just like I just kind of want to just keep it moving. Just kind of run, like run from this point to that point, you know, like really just kind of tap into the essence of like cypher rap kind of freestyling
0: versus type shit. Totally. Yeah, man. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So, um, as we're running out of time here, it is getting a little late. But uh, Dana Copperfield, man, it was yeah, man. It's been good to hear from you, hear your whole history, because I mean, you have a career that spanned several decades, and you know, to see you still out here um, doing the thing, but also dabbling with you know new beginnings is exciting. And uh, yeah, man, we, we can't wait to. Can't wait to see. Right.
1: I can't wait to give you guys, you know, I can't wait to deliver something. I mean, you know, Demo always told me, he's like, you, you know, because I've always told him, like, well, I don't know how much longer I'm going to rap. He's like, well, that won't matter. He's like, he's like, no matter what you do, you're probably going to be a part of the scene. You're going to figure out how to be a part of the scene one way, because it's like, that's in your DNA. Like, no one. Like everybody who knows you on some type of level knows that you're like a part of the scene in some form or some way. You know, I mean, that. to be honest, there isn't like a Milwaukee artist rapper that I haven't been in cahoots with or haven't like um, empowered or tried to push them to do something you know everyone from Mike Regal to great to classic to you know I mean even newer cats you know I mean there's like people hit me up all the time I you know just the fact that like here I am I've had this run and I, I still get love and people still recognize me from that and it really means a lot to me, you know, it, it's cool, it it was cool, you know, one of the coolest things, Mike Regal, you know, asking me for advice in certain times in his career, you know, when he was trying to figure things out, and being a part of that, and watching his growth, and, you know, I've been around to see a lot of people grow and be a part of it, I think, you know, that is an important, more important legacy of just then making the music, you know, because, you know, I like, giving advice to people or just kind of helping them to get to help fulfill their dreams because we never had that coming up in the scene. Like we, no one ever was like trying to mentor us because no one, you know, everybody, no one knew what to do or had a clue. So being a part of that, it's a huge thing, you know, like I love Milwaukee. I love the rap scene, I love being a part of it. It, was a big part of, it is a big part of my life and and i'm always going to be grateful for the people who took time and you know so i love it and so i'd want to be a part of it whether
0: i'm creating music or not you yeah. know yeah so as we are closing out here uh dana tell me what keeps you up at night anxiety
1: same <laughs> my like no, seriously, shadow people keep
0: me up at night. Oh, I, I mean, I got a lot of racing thoughts at life or at night myself. So I, I hear you on the anxiety. What puts you to sleep? Anxiety. <laughs> man, suppose it's you you just exhaust your mind with all the uh, what ifs. You just pass out.
1: You're so tired of fighting, you know. It's, It's like you have a fucking alarm system in your head, you know, and if you hear it long enough, you can actually fall asleep to
0: it. Thanks for being on the show, Dana Copperfield.
1: Not a problem, man. I appreciate you guys having me, and thanks for letting me talk your ear off, because that's one thing I can do very good.
0: (laughs) Man, (laughs) it makes my job easier.
1: Uh, Yeah, Uh I need to ask, like, four questions this whole interview.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's better than, like, prying into into getting answers from people so alright well thanks for watching Mr. Nice Guy everybody hope you learned something about Milwaukee's music scene and I'll uh, we'll be looking forward to Dana, Top of Fields EPs in the months to come Yeah, Mr. Nice Guy we'll see you next time